Welcome to the Moms of Tweens and Teens podcast. If some days you doubt yourself and you don't know what you're doing, if you've ugly cried alone in your bedroom because you felt like you're failing, well, I just want you to know you're not alone and you have come to the right place. Raising tweens and teens in today's world is not easy. And I'm on a mission to equip you to love well and to raise emotionally healthy, happy tweens and teens that thrive. I believe that moms are heroes and we have the power to transform our family and to impact future generations. If you are looking for answers, encouragement, and to become more of the mom and the woman that you want to be, welcome. I'm Cheryl Gould, and I am so glad that you're here. Hi, friend. Welcome to the show today, and I am so glad that you're here because we're having a really important conversation in this episode. We're going to be talking all about consent. And this is a conversation that is super important for us to be having with our tweens and teens. And the statistics are staggering. By the time a girl graduates college, one in four will have been sexually assaulted. And those are the ones that have been reported. So we need to be having these conversations with our sons and with our daughters. And Christy Keating is here today to tell us how we can talk to our tweens and teens. She is with the Heartful Parent, and she also worked as a licensed attorney who specialized for many years in the prosecution of sexually violent predators. So she has a very unique perspective on the importance of teaching our sons and daughters about consent. So without further ado, let's jump in. Hi, Christy. Welcome to the show. And I am so happy you're here. And I'm really excited with what we are going to be talking about today. Hi, Cheryl. Thank you so much for having me. I am excited to be here. I love your podcast and excited to talk about this important topic. Yes. And I love what you're doing. I've just been taking it in. I've been wanting to have somebody on the show like you, and you are such an expert with consent and what we're going to be talking about. Tell our listeners a little bit about you, about your background and what led you to what you're doing today. Yeah. Happy to do that. So um, originally I am trained as a, an attorney. I'm a licensed attorney in the state of Washington Um, and I practiced law actively for almost 20 years. Um, and that entire 20 years I worked for the, um, King County prosecutor's office, which is located in Seattle, Washington. It's one of the largest prosecutor's offices in the country. Um, and I handled everything there from, you know, simple assaults and petty theft to homicides, but the majority or the the biggest expertise that I formulated while I was there was working um, or prosecuting sex offenders and ultimately spent about four years in our um, sexually violent predator unit, which is sort of the most dangerous of, 
of the dangerous. Um, I loved my work as a prosecutor, but, you know, as many of us find when we become parents, um, our priorities shift a bit, our views of ourselves in the professional world change, you know, that can change a bit. And that happened for me. Um, and I sort of found myself not being able to be the kind of mom that I wanted to be and not being able to be the kind of lawyer that I wanted to be, because it's a really all consuming job. Um, and so it took me a while, but, um, while I was still working, I went back to school and I got certified as a parent coach, um, excuse me, through the Parent Coach Institute and Seattle Pacific University. Um, I also got certified as a positive discipline educator and certified through the Gottman Institute, talking about emotional coaching and yep, all that good stuff. Um, And then in 2018, um, I decided to leave my, my work as an attorney and I started the Heartful Parent Collective, which um, I now work with parents in three main ways. So I do one-on-one coaching with parents around a whole wide variety of issues. Um, I also run an online membership academy for parents that um, don't want the, the pride, you know, they don't need the, the one-on-one coaching or they can't afford that, but they want some support on this parenting journey because it's hard. <laughs> so it's hard. We do need tons of support. We really, we were, my, my tagline is we were never meant to parent alone. Yeah. And then I also run Savvy Parents Safe Kids as a part of the collective. And that is where I give um, presentations to parents and to professionals about how do we protect our young children from um, child sexual abuse? How do we talk to kids about sex? How do we, as our kids age and grow, how do we adjust and talk about safety and the new sort of safety concerns that they have both online and in the real world. And then ultimately with our teens, tweens and teens, you know, how do we talk to them about things like consent and, um, you know, relationships and, uh, and sexuality and all of those topics that often have parents feeling like they're deer in the headlights. Oh yeah, for sure. I was like reading all your stuff and I'm like, Oh, I didn't have that conversation with my kid. You didn't even think to have it around the consent. And that's become such a big issue. I just think so many of us, we don't know how to even the sex one, that's hard. And then the consent one, really difficult to know how to have that conversation. Yeah, they're difficult conversations, you know, for a number of reasons. One, because tweens and teens often don't want to talk to us about this kind of stuff, right? But also because we don't know how to talk about it. I know in my case, I don't, I didn't have a role model, right? I had fabulous parents, but they never talked to me about this kind of stuff. And, you know, what you're describing and what we're sort of talking about is really borne out by the research, um, it, there was a, a fabulous study done by Harvard called the Making Caring Common Project. And in that, they found that uh, of college students, um, there were 2,000 college students that were um, interviewed and, and filled out a survey. And less or right around only a quarter of them said that they ever discussed sexual violence with their parents or safe adults um, in any way, shape, or form. Um, about half of them said that sex was discussed one time or less. So, you know, that's a huge, uh, wow, that's sobering. Isn't yeah. It? yeah. 
we're just not talking to our kids about this and we need to be. And I would think that we would be doing better than our parents did out talking about it because we're just a little, I would think we're a little bit more seasoned and a little bit more open yeah. uh, perhaps, but that doesn't mean that we're still having the conversation. It doesn't. And I, I think there's an increasing number of parents that know sort of on the surface level that this is an important conversation um, that they should have. But we also tend to think, well, not my kid, right? Yeah. So Mm -hmm. yeah, those are important conversations for other parents to have, but not my kid. My kid's a good kid. Um, And so that's a piece of it. We, We get into that mindset and we just don't know how to do it. We Um, You know, this isn't something that they teach you when you become a parent. Um, It tends to creep up on us. Uh, And so we just think, well, I think they know. I think they know. So we don't need to talk about it. Yeah, exactly. And they don't know. And the research is showing us they don't know. Mm -hmm. I'm sitting here thinking, gosh, I wonder if, because this is, this is me thinking about my kids are a little bit older now and thinking about how I talk to them about it. And like you said, when they do hit the tween and teen years, I think that I was talking to them about it, but I, I wasn't talking to them in a way that they could hear it. I think I was just giving the scare tactics, like don't do that and don't do this. And then they're tuning me out. And if they had have taken that survey, they might have said, well, my mom, I mean, and I did, we did have the sex talk with them. We gave them, we, we read them a, a book, <laughs> uh-huh. you know, when they were younger, you know, age appropriate. And, uh, but then we just kind of put it by their bedside and okay, you know, we, we did that. Um, but would sprinkle in some seeds here and there, but they might've said, no, they weren't really talking to us that much because, Maybe they weren't even hearing it because we didn't even know how to be saying it in a way that they could receive it by talking at rather than what I know now to be able to ask some of those good questions. Yeah. Tweens and teens especially are going to be able to hear so much better. They are. And, you know, I I mean, you're certainly not alone in that. I think when we are nervous about a conversation and when we are worried about our kids, which we all do. Um, you know, we, there is that element of fear that we have for them. Um, and so we have a tendency, as you said, to talk at rather than talk with, we have a tendency to use those fear-based tactics, which I'll tell you, they don't work. Um, you know, teens, they don't have fully developed brains yet. They process risk and risky behavior and judgment, in a totally different way than, um, than we do as mature grown adults. Um, and you know, fear either, uh, they overlook it, those fear-based tactics, or it it can be paralyzing to them. And, you know, I see that as well with parents who have younger children. Um, they tend to use that, those fear-based tactics and they're not effective when they're four and they're not effective when they're 14 and they're not effective when they're 24. Um, so we have to find better ways into these conversations with our kids so that they can hear us and, um, and get this critical information that they need. 
Yes. That's why I'm so excited to be talking to you. So you can tell us how, right? Yes. Happy to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about consent. We, th- we hear it a lot on the news. There's been even some Netflix movies, you know, documentaries done a lot on that. But tell us exactly, because I know there's two different definitions of consent. So why don't you kind of break that down for us? Absolutely. So when we're talking about consent, the way I sort of break it down is there's the legal definition of consent. And then there's the the definition that we really want our children to have. Um, And they need to know both, right? They need to know what the law is in the state where they live um, or in the state where they're going to college or where they're moving after they leave your home. Um, So they need to know what the law is. But you know, oftentimes the the law is written um, in a way, there are limitations on it, right? Because of what the state or the prosecutor has to prove in a criminal case. And so the law has to be written in a way that um, that takes that into account and really puts the burden on the state. Um, and, you know, consent really from a, from a legal standpoint is did the, did the victim say no? Um, now, the exact definition is going to vary a bit from state to state. So, um, you know, I'm licensed in the state of Washington. Um, I've reviewed the law in a number of other states, but, um, you know, people should look it up in their own states to make yeah. sure they're clear on what it is. Um, and uh, rain.org, which is the rape, abuse, and incest national network.org, um, R-A-I-N-N, um, has a summary of the laws from every state. So that's a really valuable resource for people. But the bottom line is that in most, if not all states, when you boil it down, consent means did the victim say no, right? Was was there no overpowered by someone? Um, and I understand from a legal standpoint why that has to be the, the standard legally, Um, It's totally insufficient um, when it comes to the actual behavior that we want our children engaging in and, you know, the way that we want them to understand consent. Yes. And then no. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, because what we want, well, what I want for all of our kids is for them to have a much more proactive idea of what this means, a much more... um, sort of well-rounded vision of both what we all as humans are entitled to when it comes to the touching of our bodies uh-huh. um, and what we have to do when we want to touch someone else's body. What we want for our children is a much more uh, well-rounded or, um, you know, sort of thorough vision of both what, what they are entitled to in terms of someone else touching their bodies and also what they need to be aware of when they are looking to touch someone else's body. Um, And just a much more sort of empathetic and rights, looking at this from sort of the rights of another person viewpoint, which the legal standard doesn't really begin to touch. Yeah. And it, and it speaks to character and, and it speaks to what's a healthy relationship and what are good boundaries and what am I, what's going to make me feel good? Like, who am I, you know, yeah. and what do I, what do I want? And, right. and that's an empowering our kids. 
Yeah, I'm a big fan. And in fact, whenever I present to audiences, I talk about the importance, whether again, whether our kids are four, 14 or 24, that we're talking about empowering them with information, with tools, with, um, you know, ways to deal with all of these subjects that for us as parents feel really scary. Um, and that's, that's no different when they're, when they're tweens and teens. And in fact, you know, maybe even more important because now they are, they are, are no longer constantly under our watchful eye, right. Of, of how they're conducting themselves out in the world. And so, you know, when I started, um, well, when I was working as a prosecutor and then when I started my business and really started looking at how are we talking to kids about this, it was very clear to me that our kids are not getting um, the messages and the information and the empowerment from, from the adults in their world that they need to be. They're certainly not getting it in schools. A lot of parents think, I'll let the schools deal with that. Mm-hmm. Terrible idea. Yeah. Um, and too many of them are not getting it from us. And so what happens then is we have kids that are seeking out information about everything from sex and sexuality to these issues around consent, you know, which are all intertwined and they're getting the information on the internet, which is not really where most of us as parents want our kids getting their education when it comes to sex. Oh, yeah, no, most definitely. And just even the things that can come up and pop up. Well, and also I I had overheard you speaking um, on another podcast and talking about TV and what TV is teaching our kids yeah. um, about consent. And talk about that. You talk about the holding hands. Like, so what should consent look like? Yeah. So that's a great question. And and I'll, I'll kind of answer your question in a few pieces if I might. But, you know, for a starter, we have to think about, okay, what does consent mean beyond the legal standard? So the legal standard, as I said, is really no means no. Um, some people have said, well, okay, that's not really sufficient. So let's turn it into yes means yes. Um, and that's better. It's better, but it's still not great because it still really puts the the burden, the primary burden on the person being touched rather than the person doing the touching. And when I'm talking about touching, I mean, everything from holding hands to kissing to, you know, full sexual intercourse. Um, any range of that. And um, yes means yes continues to put the primary burden on the 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 one being touched. So I developed a, a way um, of thinking about this. I call it the omegas of consent or consent's gold standard, sort of the last word on consent. Um, and omegas is an acronym and each letter stands for something. So here's how I define consent. So one is the O. Um, consent, our, our teens, tweens and teens need to understand that consent needs to be ongoing. In other words, you know, we, if you ask permission to hold someone's hand, that's great. That doesn't mean that that person has consented to having sex. And so at every step along the way, they need to obtain consent. Wow. It, it also reminds our children that consent can be withdrawn at any point, right? And that it doesn't matter how far along they are in that activity. If one person decides they no longer want to be a part of that, 
their partner needs to respect that. So consent needs to be ongoing from start to finish. Um, The M in omegas stands for mutually desired, which, you know, continues that idea that it really, it's not enough for one partner to want the physical contact that both partners must desire, not just the contact, but also the nature of the contact. Um, And this also is a place where we can drive home for our kids that um, body language is not a reliable indicator of whether or not somebody wants something to happen. They need to be asking. Um, The E in Omegas is enthusiastic and informed partners. So, you know, we want to be teaching our tweens and teens that um, all physical contact, you know, whether that's again, holding hands, kissing, or having sex, um, is a fabulous part of life. If, and only if both partners or all partners are enthusiastic and informed about any risks, you know, and here's where I think we can really start to change the narrative and, you know, let our kids know they're entitled both our boys and our girls are entitled to have someone that wants to engage in that activity with them. Why would they settle for anything less than that? Right? Because it's so much more fun when both parties want to do it, right? When when you hold someone's hand and they also want to hold your hand, it's like there's electricity that goes through that. Yeah, yeah. Why would you force that on somebody? Yeah. You know, that doesn't serve either party. Sex can be a fabulous, wonderful part of our older teens and adults lives when it's fully consensual and, you know, when their partner's enthusiastic. And again, why would they settle for less than that? Um, so that's the E we want enthusiastic and informed partners. Um, the G is given freely. So anytime one partner is trying to coerce another partner into contact, um, it's not given freely. So saying things like, well, if you really loved me, you would da, 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 right. Mm-hmm. The or, um, yeah. everybody's doing it. We should be doing it too. Um, you know, or God, you're such a prude or, you know, whatever word might be used. Um, anytime there's that element of coercion going on, it's not given freely. And also someone who is impaired, is not able to freely give that consent. So, um, you know, so that's part of the, the G as well. The, um, a, uh, is acceptable age. And by that, I mean, legal age, which again, will vary from state to state. So, um, in many States, it really depends more about the relative age of the two parties. Um, you know, if you're, if you've got a a 15 year old and a 25 year old, that's a, that's a problem. Yeah. Um, some states would call that statutory rape or rape of a child. Um, but if you've got a 15 year old and another 15 year old, you know, that's a different scenario. So understanding what that legal age of consent is and what the, you know, if there are prohibitions around the relative age of the two of the two parties. Well, what about if, uh, it's like a, uh, 15 year old, 16 year old and a 19 year old. So again, that's going to depend and that's going to vary by state. Um, and it will depend on, you know, exactly what that spread is. So, 
Um, if it's four years or more in the state of Washington, it's too much. So 15 to 19 would be problematic depending on when those birthdays fall. Right. Um, now I think a good rule of thumb for parents, and it's certainly one that we use in our household is, um, that, you know, friendships and relationships really, you don't want to be going more than one grade up or one grade down, right? That's kind of a safe spread two grades at the most. Um, but anything beyond that in my community where they're asking this question. Yeah. 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 So, um, one to two years or one to two grades at the most up or down is, um, is where my comfort level, you know, is as a mom, um, each family needs to figure that out for themselves. And of course, be aware of what, what individual laws in their state might be. Um, and then the final piece of the omegas is sober body and sound mind. And this really gets into that idea that, you know, we need to help our tweens and teens, And young adults understand that alcohol, drugs, prescription medication, um, mental health challenges, all of those can impair a person's ability to give that consent freely and knowingly. Um, And really, they shouldn't be seeking to engage in in physical touch, (laughs) certainly not sexual, you know, interactions with somebody who is impaired um, in any one of those ways, uh, because that will negate consent. You know, that'll make it go away. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know what that one that I think s- seems to be the trickiest, all of them make sense. That enthusiastic, I think about how kids can misconstrue so easily because of their brain development, because of their impulsivity, if somebody is enthusiastic, you know, if they're, you know, if they're into it, so to speak, for lack of yep. a better yep. word, what would you say to that when it, when you say enthusiastic? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that really comes down to where we need to be teaching our kids to have conversations around this. Um, body language is notoriously unpredictable and unreliable in terms of understanding, you know, what another person's, um, what's going on in their minds. And you can play games with your, your tween or teen where you put on a a particular face or a, you know, some body language, and you can, you can sort of explore it in that way and help them see that really many of the facial expressions that we use can mean a variety of different things. Um, and even someone who is engaging appears to be engaging physically in a, in a way that they're into it, as you say, and I'm putting that in quotation marks, cause I know <laughs> yeah, people yeah. can't see us. Um, you know, that's a, that's a really risky place to be because that can be really misconstrued by a number of things. One, somebody who's feeling pressured into doing something, you know, someone who may not be of, um, sober body and sound mind. Um, yes. you know, there's all those things that can interfere with that. So short of, of really asking and talking about it, our tweens and teens shouldn't be doing it. And my, and my sort of rule of thumb is if you're not ready to talk about it with your partner, you're not ready to do it, mm-hmm. you know, and that's a hard thing for them to grasp, particularly in the world of, you know, where they communicate digitally so often and not face to face. Um, I think in many ways that has sort of stunted our, our tweens and teens ability to, to have some of those difficult 
um, conversations face to face. But here's what I always say to, you know, where if you have a tween or teen that says, oh God, I could never ask. That'd be so embarrassing because what if they said no? Yeah. Well, my response to that is, and that's exactly why you need to be asking because if their response would be no, and you would move forward without knowing that that was their response, then you've just violated that person. You know, you've just bowled right over their, their consent and done what you want. And now you've potentially committed a crime, um, you know, at the worst. And at the least you've, you've just taken away somebody's ability to say what happens to their body. You, you know what I was sitting here thinking as you were comparing it to that is it's almost like when our kids are little and they go for a play date and they're playing with a toy and they take somebody's toy without asking and we teach them, I can ask if you can play with their toy mm-hmm. or even my kids, you know, ask when they were younger, ask if it's okay to eat their French fries or their dessert. But here right. we're talking about consent when it comes to showing physical affection or more, and they're not, they're not being taught to ask. I mean, it's yeah. kind of crazy when you think of it that way. It's totally crazy when you think about it like that. You know, yeah, as you said, we teach them to ask, can I pet your dog? <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> we're teaching them that, but we're not teaching them to ask about, um, you know, can I hold your hand? Can I kiss you? Can I have sex with you? You know? Um, and you know, when, for parents who have younger kids, um, now, uh, one of the things that we sort of inadvertently do in many cases is override their ability to consent, right? We say things like go give grandpa a hug or go sit on grandma's lap or, you know, do all of these things where we're not asking, would you like to give grandpa a hug? Would you like to sit on grandma's lap? And so, we are inadvertently teaching our kids that, um, that consent doesn't always matter. And we need to start shifting that at home and with our tweens and teens too, we still do it, right? Like we're embarrassed because they're becoming standoffish. So we'll say, you know, come on, go give your grandmother a hug. She's leaving or whatever it is. Um, and we really need to shift that narrative and start to let them know that they have the ability to control what happens to their bodies and they need to give other people the ability to control what happens to their bodies. That's, that's so empowering. So it's boundaries. It's teaching our kids to respect themselves and their own boundaries and to respect other people's as well. Yeah. And yeah. not to be afraid to speak up because that's I right. think about how that can play out. I mean, I'm thinking more about girls. They want a boy to like them. So they're not saying no. How do you, so how do you start having this? Let's just start with the girls and then we can move on to the boys. How do you start having that conversation with your daughter? Well, so I think they're they're twins. Yep. So, I, I mean, I think whether we're talking about girls or boys, there's a foundation that really has to be laid. And that is, um, that we are willing to talk to our kids about sex. And I know and that makes parents freak out. So, you know, that's one of the, that's one of the things that I do is help parents figure out how to have those conversations. Um, especially if they didn't start to do it when their kids are little, you know, but when I was growing up and I'm sure this is true for many of your listeners that there was the talk, 
right? And I, again, I'm putting that in quotation marks. It's, it was a one-time conversation, maybe, uh, maybe once when we were little, maybe once when we got a little bit older, maybe mom or dad showed us a book. Um, I have this very distinct memory of this book that my parents showed me when I was a kid that was supposed to tell me what sex was. Um, and that was kind of the end of the conversation. We never discussed it again. And what I tell parents now is one time isn't good enough. It, it's yeah. not right. Because when we are not being the resource for our children and we're not showing that we are open and willing and able to have these conversations, even when everybody's uncomfortable doing it, then we're sending our kids to Dr. Google to figure out what's yeah. really going on. And that leads them to pretty bad places really quickly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, porn, pornography is incredibly accessible on the internet and we can argue about whether or not that's appropriate for adults, but um, it is damaging to kids um, and it's giving them a really backwards idea of what those relationships look like. So whether we've got boys or girls, we need to start by talking about sex and sexuality and relationships, right? What do healthy relationships look like? What do unhealthy relationships look like? Um, and we can do that. You mentioned earlier, and I don't think I quite circled back around, but we can do that in a variety of ways. Um, TV, movies, media are a great way into those conversations where, you know, if we're watching a TV show together, we can talk about the relationships that we're observing. Is that healthy? Is that, how does that feel to you? You know, do you think, you know, I don't know, one person in that show really wanted that to happen, you know, with the person that they were involved with, we, we really can use that as a way in with our tweens and teens, because we can't probably sit down with a book that's meant for, you know, six and seven year olds and say, okay, here's what sex is, right? We're not going to do that once they're 11, 12, you know, 14, 15. Well, I love that with the movies because you're making it where it's, it's easy to sprinkle it in. I love that. Yeah. You know, and the other, the other thing about that is it's something that our kids can relate to really yes. immediately. Um, and if we do these conversations right, which is a lot of questions and curiosity and what do you think about that? And what would you have done? Or what do you think they should have done? You know, questions are much more engaging to our tweens and teens than us talking at them yeah, and yeah. saying, oh my gosh, did you see that? That I can't believe that person did that. And, and we get all judgy and we get all luxury and our kids shut down, mm-hmm. <laughs> just shut down. Totally. Um, yeah. You know, Lisa Damore, who's a, an author, um, she, she talks about with teen girls in particular, um, that they have this veil of obedience that they put on, which is really that when we start lecturing at them, they smile and nod, but they, mm-hmm. but they are not internalizing anything that we say. They're not listening to us. They're not engaging with us. Um, they are smiling and nodding and waiting until they can get done with that conversation. And I think our teen boys do that as well. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so we have to find different ways to engage them and we've got to remove the judgment, which is hard sometimes for us. Right. Yeah. We've got to remove, especially the, when we're scared. Right? Yeah. I was going to say, we've got to remove the fear. That's yeah. even harder. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, there is nothing quite as, as fear inducing as raising and parenting a tween or a teen. Yeah. It's, you know, just, it's just scary. 
Yeah, you know, and uh, and that's just it can be fun, right? Uh-huh. It, it can be fun. They're amazing people, our our tweens uh-huh. and teens. But, but it's when also it comes scary. to sex and relationships, it's really scary. It is. It is. I want to say, um, just pause on the asking questions because I tell parents also that you're connecting the left and right part of their brain when you ask questions too. Like you're teaching them to think about it and problem solve and put themselves more in that, in that situation, like you were saying, Yep. which is so much more impactful to them. So much more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when they arrive at, and this is true whether or not we're talking about sex or whether or not we're talking about plagiarism, right? When we um, when we lead with curiosity and allow them to explore and arrive at their values on their own, you know, with guidance and input from us, of course, but but in a way that they really feel like that's something that they uh, that they believe. It is, it sticks more. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, when we say these are our values and you should have these values too. Well, great. And I, and I'm, I'm not saying we shouldn't provide input and guidance and share what we think about things. Um, but when we lead with that constantly and then get judgmental when our kids might have different views, then we're missing a really valuable, valuable opportunity to dive into real meaningful conversation with them and help them explore why are their ideas about that different than ours. Curiosity is probably the one of the most important tools in parenting. I was going to say tweens and teens, but really any age. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. With Whether anybody. <laughs> anybody, anybody, right? Coworkers. Uh-huh. um, our partners, right. When we proceed with, with curiosity, true, genuine curiosity, um, we get so much further. Those conversations are so much deeper and, um, and so much more meaningful. Yes. Yeah. 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 So watching movies, how else, what's another way we can talk to them? Yeah. So, um, you know, I think by staying involved and engaged in their lives, um, oftentimes our kids won't be as willing to open up to us about their own behavior, but they will sometimes talk about things that they've seen their friends doing or talking about or whatever. Um, and so that can be a a good way into some of those conversations. You know, um, if a tween says, Oh, you know, my friend, Sarah, got herself and, you know, she was at this party and things sort of went bad. We can, we can talk to our children. What, how do you think that felt for Sarah? How do you think that happened? What, you know, what could you do um, if you were with her next time or, you know, so we can get them thinking about it through some of the stories that they tell us about their friends. Um, Music is really, really powerful. Um, So really any form of media, Um, you know, and some of the lyrics in music, if we stop and listen, and, and it's not just the music our kids are listening to, right? Adult music as well. And I put, again, I'm using a lot of air quotes here, yeah. but, um, you know, the music that we listen to as well often has really concerning themes in it or really adult themes that we can use that. We can look at the lyrics and say, you know, what do you, what do you think about that? Um, I know it's, it's June and, Christmas season seems a, a long ways away, but at the, at the holidays, there's a 
well-known holiday song. I think it's by Dean Martin recorded back in the fifties and it's baby. It's cold outside. Oh yeah. 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 Right? Yeah. <laughs> I love it's, that. Does it have bad lyrics? I don't yeah. think I noticed. I mean, it's a really catchy tune, but if you stop and look at or read the lyrics, they're really disturbing. And it's, you know, don't hurt my pride, you know, don't leave, don't go home. Um, and the woman says, Hey, what's in this drink? Really? Gosh, I'm going to have to look that up. I never yeah. even knew that. I know. Maybe it's cold outside. Yeah. It sounds so good. Yeah. It's super catchy. Right. And it's this like back and forth between this man and this woman. And, um, and it's fun to sing along to, but when you stop and listen, you're like, Oh, wow. That is not what we want our kids hearing. Now, here's the awesome thing. Um, John Legend and Kelly Clarkson in 2020, holiday season 2020, recorded a remake, an updated version of the song. Really? It's fabulous. Same catchy tune, but instead it, you know, they talk about, oh, you want to go home? Let me call you an Uber. Um, John Legend at one point says, you know, your body, your choice, right? So I got shivers just now, just got to tell you. (laughs) <laughs> it's what I got shivers. Yeah. That's so good. It's so good. It's so good. And so one of the ways, you know, I actually issued a challenge to my mailing list last holiday season, which was take your tweens and teens and look at the lyrics of these two versions of the same song and talk to them about the differences. And I had a parent email me back and say, I just had the most productive, impactful conversation with my daughter that I've ever had around this issue because we had this other, you know, it wasn't a conversation about her, but it was a conversation about um, consent from sort of a a bigger perspective and looking at what it meant in these two different scenarios. Um, And she said, I've never gotten my daughter to open up like that before. So when we can find ways into those conversations like that, that is, that is gold just gold with them. That is gold. And it's not a rap song that they're listening to where you're like, turn that stuff off because that's so disrespectful. Right. It's, it's having a conversation about an old song that we sing. Right. And and here, here it is. It's, you know. Yeah. It's not us judging their music. It's us saying, Hey, this is like, you know, from, well, it's, I guess my grandparents time really. Um, you know, the fifties, this was playing when my mom was growing up. And, um, and so we're, we're looking at our own music histories and saying, wow, there's some problematic stuff here. And then comparing it to a modern song, John Legend, Kelly Clarkson, pretty big names in the, in the music industry and saying, look at what they've done. They've made this so much better by being aware of these of these issues and really, you know, a response to the, to the me too movement and to the recognition that unfortunately we are dealing with an epidemic of sexual assault in our country. Yes, we, we most definitely are. Yeah. I'm thinking about, um, hooking up culture. I mean, we live in the hookup culture there. We're an epidemic where I know girls are, I mean, I know this just from talking to a lot of moms and a lot of um, girls that there's, there's rapes happening on campuses. I mean, speak about that. I mean, yeah, well, um, you know, unfortunately sexual assaults are, are, they really are. um, We're in a crisis place with it. They are far too common. We have, by the time girls are 
graduating from, I guess, college is what the statistics show. We've got about one in four um, that have been sexually assaulted. Um, and those are the ones that we know about. It's, it is one of the most underreported crimes. And so I think our numbers are actually far higher than that. And, you know, here's where I want to be really careful because I, I want to recognize that not all relationships are boy and girl mm-hmm. and not all perpetrators are boys and men. Um, you know, sexual assault can be perpetrated by women. It can be perpetrated in the context of a non-heterosexual relationship. Mm-hmm. And there is the reality that boys and men, based on all of the research and statistics, perpetrate about 96% of all sexual assaults. So we have to sort of hold this, these opposing things. One is recognizing when we're talking to our girls that they can violate consent as well, right? That they need to get consent for things that they want to do. And recognizing that it's more likely that our sons are, are going to do something that they that they shouldn't to make a significant safety mistake. Um, but the conversations that we're having should on consent should be largely the same. We just have to recognize that. I think both of our kids, you know, whether they're boys or girls, all of our kids need to hear, for example, that every person is entitled to, to their bodies and safety in their bodies such that they should be able to walk buck naked down the streets of, you know, the most busy street in your town and be 100% safe. That's the message that we want our, our children having, you know, it doesn't matter what they're wearing. It doesn't matter, um, you know, how much alcohol they've had. So they should be able to walk down the street naked, completely drunk and be totally safe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's the big overarching picture. Okay. And then we dive into the details of consent. Now I do want to note that you know, there are safety conversations that we need to have with our kids as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, probably slightly more with our, our girls than our boys. Um, but I am a very strong believer in the idea that we need to separate yes. our conversations about safety from our conversations about consent. Say that, say that one more time, Chris J. We need to, cause I lost you. We sure. need to, we need to separate, separate our Yeah. So we need to separate our conversations about safety from our conversations about consent. So when we're talking about consent, right, we're sticking to those omegas. We're talking about the idea that, again, they could walk down the the street naked and totally drunk um, and be safe. That's That's the groundwork for consent. And then in a separate conversation, we need to have conversations with our kids around safety, you know, and the idea that, yeah, if you're in a bar, you don't put your drink down or um, you don't leave a friend behind at a fraternity party by herself. You, you know, you need to watch how much alcohol you consume, both of both genders, right? Because we make safety, safety mistakes when we've had too much to drink. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we need our kids to understand that, yes, you should be able to wear anything that you want. Your body is not shameful and people will make judgments about you and what you're interested in based on your clothing. It's a weird sort of dichotomy that we have to hold up, but we need to do that for our kids, Mm -hmm. but separating safety from consent, because it's really two separate messages and our kids are savvy enough to know that and to, to be able to understand that, right. Our tweens and teens can process that, 
those dueling things, right? They got to stay safe and they deserve to be safe. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I love, I love that you shared that. It's so clear the way that you put that, that you can walk down the, down the street, naked, drunk. We would never want that right for, for our girls or our boys to be, be, be in that, you know, situation, but that does not give anybody permission to take advantage of you. That's right. That's right. And that's the message is, you know, the message that I think we want all of our kids to walk away from these conversations with is that it doesn't matter what someone else is doing with their bodies. We have to respect their autonomy and their ability to decide what they want and when they want it. Yeah. Yeah. Give us some, um, just to, you know, in closing, there's so much good stuff that you're sharing. What are a few things that you would say to your boys? Is there anything that you haven't covered that you would say maybe a little differently to boys? Well, I think one of the things that I would do with boys in particular, although again, I don't differentiate a whole lot, but I would give them some scripts that they can use, right? Because it's one thing to say to our boys, ask for consent. You need to get permission before you do whatever it is you want to do. Um, And we need to give them some sort of specific ideas of what that looks like, how they ask and what to say if they are rejected, right? Because that's the thing that they are fundamentally the most afraid of and the reason that most of them say they won't ask. So we have to teach them, you know, to say, may I kiss you? May I hug you? You know, would you like to go further? You know, sort of what are you comfortable with? And then if someone says, I'm not into that, or I'd rather that you not, we need to teach them to say, wow, thanks for telling me I would never want to do anything that you weren't comfortable with. I would never want to push past your right to say no. Right. So that's empowering. It gives them a way to come out the hero. I mean, if I had a boy say to me, they would never want to push past my comfort level. I would be, I would think that guy was awesome. I may not be interested in, in him, but I sure would respect him as a human. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So we, we need to give them some scripts so that they feel prepared for how to do this. And then, you know, with our boys and, and all of our tweens and teens, we need to help them recognize that, um, that this isn't just an issue of, she might not want to do everything. Like we're talking about serious legal repercussions here. And while we don't want to use fear tactics, we do also need to make sure our children understand what could happen if they violate this. And we need them to know good kids make really serious mistakes. And we want to help them make, you know, avoid those mistakes because the penalties for this kind of mistake are really real and significant and will affect the rest of their lives. So, you know, we need to sprinkle that information in there so that we're not just scaring the pants off of them, but, but they need to understand that, you know, that this is real. And then most importantly for all of our kids, and I I guess this would be my final sort of thing is the, the antidote to all of this, the thing that fixes it all is by making sure that our children know, understand, and practice empathy, right? You're not going to rape somebody that you feel empathetic towards. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so the more we can teach our boys to be empathetic, Mm-hmm. the more we teach them to um, listen to and ask for consent. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Like, how do you think just through sprinkled through the days, how do you think that felt to them or not even separate? I'm not talking about holding somebody's hand or sex, but just in general, getting them to think about how they impact other people and how other people feel. Right. And, and what do you think is, what are a couple of things that you would say that moms might begin to start doing in order to increase their the empathy piece in boys? Yeah. So a few things. One is modeling, right? Mm-hmm. We, yeah, that's um, starts. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the way that our children learn empathy is by having empathy modeled to them. And that doesn't mean us being empathetic with the, you know, person on the corner who's experiencing homelessness. It includes that, but it also means showing empathy for our kids and for engaging with them with empathy, right? When they are having a bad day, instead of yelling at them and sending them to their rooms, like diving in and saying, my goodness, what's going on, right? So showing them empathy. So modeling is the first one. Um, The second one is to talk about it, right? To talk about emotions and feelings. And you can do that with them directly and you can do it with, you know, as we've been talking about using media as a way of, you know, what do you think that felt like for that person? Um, What do you think that would be like if somebody did that, you know, X, Y, or Z as you're watching something or listening to a song or even looking at a billboard as you drive, you know, downtown, right? We see all sorts of things that, what do you think that person is feeling right now? Um, So modeling, talking about it, getting them to engage in those emotional conversations. And then I think the third thing is setting expectations for them and being really clear. We expect you to ask for consent, right? And, and we think, of course, our kids know that we want them to do that, but I think we need to be abundantly clear. It is our expectation that you will always ask before you do X, Y, or Z. Um, and, and it is our expectation that you will think about how other people are feeling and that you will be the, um, I like the term upstander instead of bystander, you will be the one that steps in and helps the, you know, the drunk kid that can't get off the floor and is throwing up on themselves, right? You will be the one that steps in to help. That is our expectation. And we are going to teach you to do that. We're going to expect you to do that. Um, And, you know, that that's just kind of a family value. So modeling, talking about it and setting expectations, I think would be the three um, primary ways to help our kids start to, to learn and understand the importance of empathy. Oh my gosh. That's so good, Christy. Wow. Really, (laughs) really good. I'm so glad that we transcribe. (laughs) All of this. So yeah, it's so good. Everything that you're sharing. Thank you. I mean, oh, you're so welcome. Helpful. So informative. How to begin to even talk about these things that can be so difficult and just all of the ideas that you shared on how to begin to do that. And um, I'll have to look and put it in our notes at John Legend and Kelly Clarkson. Did you say yeah, uh, you know, versus yeah, the, but maybe it's cold outside. <laughs> it's so yeah. good. It's so, so good. And, you know, I know that we're sort of scratching the surface. There's so many important yeah. little conversations that are, that our tweens and teens um, need to have, or that our parents need to be having with their teens and tweens. Um, and, you know, I'm always happy to be a resource for folks. Yes. Yep. Tell, you even have, um, 
a great resource on your website, so many great resources, but I just actually signed up for your printable. So tell, um, tell listeners where to find you. Yes. So the best place to find me, um, and to get, I've got a, it's about a six page handout that has more information on how to have these conversations, what the specific conversations are, um, and some, some great books and other resources that parents can dive into both individually and with their tweens and teens. Um, and parents can download that on my website. So if you go to the heartful parent and heartful is H E A R T F U L the heartful slash consent. Um, and there will be a way for them to download that, uh, that handout right there and, and get some more, um, tips and tricks for diving into these conversations with their kids. Okay. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for all that you're doing. Oh, and the, you also have the savvy, you have a savvy, savvy parent, safe kids.com. Yep. Yeah, and there's, yeah. I'm actually in the process of putting it all together under one roof. Oh, good. <laughs> um, yeah. Good. So there won't be two separate, but um, you know, that's a, that's a process. So, yes. but for right now, the heartful parent and savvy parent, safe kids, those are the the places people can find me um, on the web and on social media. And um, I'd love to share those, those extra tips with parents. Yes. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for being on the show and I'll look forward to, we'll have to have you back and talk more about dating. Dating is a big one too. So it is, well, that would be my pleasure. And Cheryl, <laughs> thank you so much for this conversation and being willing to dive into, you know, what can be a little bit of an uncomfortable subject, but so, so important. Well, that's it for today. And thank you for joining me, friends. And I am always looking for ways to meet your needs and to support you. And if you haven't checked out our MOTS University, which is M-O-T-T-S university.com, I encourage you to go there. And there are so many resources that are free that you can download to support you with your tweens and your teens. And also check out our website, momsoftweensandteens.com. And you can sign up for our bi-weekly newsletter. And you will also get notified when we have free workshops coming up and all that is happening here at Moms of Tweens and Teens. So have a great week and I will see you back here next time.